What's up, Joe? Hey, what's up, Zeph? Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Long time no see. It's been a while. Did you see Barbie? I did see Barbie. You have 12 seconds to give me your thoughts and a score. Uh, Pretty good. 34. Cool. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, welcome back. There's been a few episodes without you because you've been... What? Why are you laughing? <laughs> Immediately start off with a movie review in the cold open. It's funny. <laughs> so, we're not talking about Barbie today because we already did. Uh, we le- What? No. no we left you out of that one. Yeah. That makes we sense. saved Oppenheimer for you. So well, we, I still haven't seen it. Oh, for real? Yeah. So, we can't even record that. No. Um, well, luckily for you, we're not... <laughs> Lucky for you, we're not talking about Oppenheimer either. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Change of plans. So we're not talking about Oppenheimer. No, that was never the plan because I okay. actually do know what I'm talking That's about. That's funny. Um, first of all, hi. Hi. Uh, secondly, um, I want to talk about something very specific. Okay. So specific that I actually recorded an episode about it by myself alone. Okay. Like five minute episode just because I had yep. to rant about it. And mm. I never uploaded it because nobody wants to listen to a one guy podcast. Yeah. Um, and, but I want to talk about that today because, um, and there's a specific reason why. What's up? You're on Not Qualified Podcast. Thank you for calling. Hi. Hi. Pleasure to meet you. <laughs> you as well. We have been trying to reach you regarding. Important information. If you have important information, please press one. If you have, thank you for calling. Pleasure to meet you. I would like to speak with a representative. Passing you through to representative. Hi, I'm Kyle. Pleasure to meet you. Oh, hey, that was a good bit. I thought you were gonna do like a, I thought you were gonna do an Indian accent or something when it got to the representative. No, I was just gonna repeat. I was gonna repeat the same stuff, but have a name. You're actually you're actually on the podcast, by the way. I figured this happened before, which yeah. is so ironic. It's so, good. if you're not qualified, listeners, uh, you can go back now. Well, you should probably finish the episode. Then go back. This happened again, and it was also, again, me. Um, so go try to find that. I'll give you 20 bucks if you can figure out who I am. I don't even okay. remember what episode it is. But also, you've yeah, been on yeah. the podcast for real, so it's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, but this is more fun, I think, because then we don't have to actually be with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so. Um, so, anyway, uh, what's up? What's up? How's it going? I was just going to ask you about that song you sent me, but if it needs to be a different time, that's fine. I'll call you as soon as we're done recording. How about that? That's fine. Cool. Sounds good. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Uh, so, uh, here's what we're talking about today, Joe. Okay. I thought about this, and I was thinking about it because so much that I did an re- episode by myself about it. Okay. I think I figured out what I love in a movie. Like, okay. in terms, like, not... There's lots of things, right? I have favorite movies that are all across the board. But in terms of like movies that I watch and I'm like, this is for me. This is right up my alley. Yeah. There's something specific. And I was just analyzing my thoughts. Yeah. I think what it is. Are you ready? Okay. I like B movies with an A movie budget. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I like B movies made by 
A-list people. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking about it because my top three directors of all time. So I watched Explorers, mm-hmm. directed by Joe Dante. Okay. Great movie. And I would love to talk about that sometime if you mm-hmm. watch it. Um, and it got me thinking about the fact that, that that my top three directors are... Who are they, Joe? Do you know? <sighs> top three directors are... I'm going to assume Joe Dante's on that list. Yeah, he's number two. John Carpenter. Number one. Sam Raimi. Number three. Very good. <laughs> um, and so, but what do those guys have in common? Is they make B movies produced by A movie studios. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're, and, and specifically with Joe Dante, he actually is on the nose about the fact that he's making B movies. Like all his best, his influences were B movies, right? Yeah. Other than, it's like B movies, he's like the B movie Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Like his his movie ideas are are just Steven Spielberg movies if they were B movies. Yeah. Sometimes in the case of Gremlins and others, they're even produced by Steven Spielberg. Like um, Yeah. But that's what he does. And and like a lot of his movies are explicitly referencing or talking about B movies. Um uh Matinee is a great example. It's a movie mm-hmm. about B movies and mm-hmm. and Explorers has a little bit of that too. Um and so he loves B movies, uh, but he makes big budget blockbusters. Sam Raimi does the same thing, except he he makes even weirder B like yeah he actually makes B movies sometimes. Yeah, and then John Carpenter is John Carpenter. You know, so yeah. I was just thinking about the fact that I think what I love is a movie like that to be able to have the earnestness and campiness of a goofy B movie and mm-hmm. be genuine, but not be a B movie, like not be terrible. Yeah. And those three guys really uh, nailed that. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on that or on any of those three directors, and then we're going to segue. So go ahead. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. I think what's notable about that is like Sam, Sam Raimi, for example, who's often cited as like the B movie king. Uh-huh. Like he is the B movie director who is – made it to like a list status who's made like huge blockbuster movies with a list actors. Um, but he just keeps making B movies. Yeah. Whereas like John Carpenter just, Hey, Oh, what's, what was the, um, what I was, my thought that I, I had lost, uh, John Carpenter just kind of does whatever he wants, yeah. which I guess is kind of like the essence of a B movie. Like right. he just kind of like, I have a cool idea, whatever. Cool. Cool. I think what's interesting about making B movies is it's, you just, you have a really cool idea mm-hmm. and then you follow through with it mm-hmm. and you don't really have a whole lot of oversight because you're the director. So you can just do whatever you want. It makes me think of movies like, Star Wars, yes. like if George Lucas so. hadn't had his wife there editing the movie in real time, like, hey, this is dumb. You should change this. Yeah. Like how much, like how different the movie would be, how different like the cinematic bad. landscape would be. It would be a terrible movie. Yeah. It'd probably have like a cult following. Just like, look how crazy. It's like Flash Gordon spinoff. Whoa, Samurai's in space. Um, but that's like kind of like all it would garner. It'd be like some kind of like indie underground yeah. thing that only like a few people like, and he wouldn't have really gone very far. Um, but I think you see that a lot with, I think there are a lot of directors that start off in that camp of like B movie esque thing. Like right. Even Ryan Johnson, like with, uh, what was the brick? Uh, brick? Like, yeah. 
oh, a student, like, yeah, they're high school students, they're solving a crime. It's a, like, modern noir it's movie. Kitschy. It's like a... Kind of kitschy, yeah. yeah. So, it's weird. So, Star Wars is a great example, because I was thinking about that the other day. Star Wars actually is a B-movie. Yeah. It's in the best way. I don't mean... So, like, also, for those of you listening, can you describe what a B-movie is, Joe, for anybody who doesn't know? Um, I would say any movie that production-wise doesn't show hallmarks of major studio funding, editing, filmography, things that... um, are telltale signs of somebody who has a lower budget yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of cinematography, in terms of script writing, of screenplay, of directing style, um, things that are typically typically lead to um, them being very um, descriptive of the director. Sure. Like directors have like very like very specific signs of like movies they make like whatever reoccurring things that happen Mm -hmm. um typically low budget like honestly if we're talking like low budget style right so usually a b movie is is it's not a studio movie right so it's like an independent movie independent movie very low budget yeah it's funny because though you can also have low budget indie movies that aren't b movies yeah like uh they're out there you know what i'm saying like like student films and all sorts of things. A B movie is, it's almost like taking on this connotation of, it's not just a low budget independent movie, but it's also goofy. Like it tends to be about like, like, yeah, uh, it's almost like cheap, like a cheap knockoff of something. And it's yeah. like about an alien invasion or it's about like, yeah, you know, and you think of like plan nine from outer space yeah. or like historically really bad B movies, but typically, it really just means independent low budget movies. Yeah. Like low budget independent movie. And they typically focus on things that are well out of their grasp to accomplish yeah, yeah, successfully exactly. within yeah. their budget. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost like that's what makes them endearing is like, you can see what they were trying to do, but they don't accomplish yeah. it. So that's what an actual B movie is. They're ambitious. B meaning the letter B in the, as in yeah. like a list, B list celebrities. Yeah. Right? And you have people that ride that border and all three of the, directors I mentioned really do ride that border from a list to B list. So yeah. like Sam Raimi is a great example of his last movie was what? So before he made Oz, he, so he started out doing literal indie movies, right? Evil. Yeah. Dead, and then they got picked up by a studio and then he made some big budget movies and then kept doing indie movies in between and then yeah. got Spider-Man and blew up. And then he went back to B movies. Like he, after Spider-Man, after the trilogy, he mm-hmm. did like Drag Me to Hell and yeah, like, not a B movie, but a low budget horror movie. Yeah, and then went and then like goes back to Marvel. You know what I'm saying? So, in Oz, that kind of stuff. So yeah. like, there's guys like that that really ride the line. Um, there's actors that ride the line. Bruce Campbell is famously yeah. in a bunch of terrible movies and also great movies, but yeah. he elevates whatever he's in because he just. He embodies the spirit of what a B movie should be, which is that I don't care that this is dumb. I'm gonna treat it yeah. like it's really cool and give yeah. it my all. You know, and, and there, uh, like you were saying, there's something endearing about that. Of like, if you're gonna watch a movie with um, Bruce Campbell in it, there's something that's like, there's an essence of it that's like awesome about it. Only because it's Bruce Campbell. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's only you only love it because Bruce Campbell is currently doing that yes. on screen at the moment, and you're like, your love for the movie is tied solely to Bruce Campbell's performance. Yeah. 
Which that's what. So with explorers, it was. Explorers is hard to explain. I should probably just save that. We should talk about it after you've seen it. Yeah. Because um, I do have a lot to say about explorers, but yeah, I just think that what I love in a movie is like when. Maybe I should say it like this: It's an A-list movie, right? It's it's got the budget and the cast and a director who knows how to direct. Like yeah. it's well made, but at the same time, it's got B movie sensibilities, or maybe it has the freedom to do what a B movie would do. Right? Yeah. So maybe that's what I love in a movie. I love when a movie doesn't feel restrained by the studio. Yeah. Um, which explores, ironically, really was ex- yeah. restrained by the studio, but. Um, but just in general, it's like you get you get the sense that this doesn't feel the pressure. This movie is not feeling the pressure to be mainstream or cool. Yeah. And yet it has the budget and the reach to be that. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, as a side note, I want to say there are very few directors, most of them being in your top three list, that are able to pull that off, That to have that B-movie sense of filming uh-huh. with an A-list budget when you don't have a budget to create an A-list movie, you have to really think creatively about yeah. how you film things, how the story goes, how you go about presenting said yes. plot. Um, that you really lose whenever you start off directing an A-list movie, right? Okay, or in that in that area where you're like, okay, well, like I may not be able to do this but like i have a team of writers i have the like okay i like what they are thinking the technology yeah we have the technology well let's build a movie around it okay cool now that we got all that figured out well let's have vfx artists to take care of that whatever cool cool whatever uh but like in evil dead whenever they're like showing the demon they just have a camera like wriggling on the ground like yeah chasing like running through the forest that's another thing all three of those directors i mentioned have in common is that they got their start having to make do yeah, and that makes a good director is when they have to learn how to deal with budget constraints, like severe budget constraints, yeah, and make something cool and make something professional and in compelling yeah. with extremely limited resources. Because then they're forced to be creative and to make a movie, yeah, with what they have and to do it in a really creative and uh, compelling way, right? Yeah, so that's really tough to do. If you can, like, they all started that way, and um, you know, John Carpenter starting, like, think of. I mean, it wasn't his first movie, but think of Halloween. Mm-hmm. That's a lowest of the low budget movie. That's just a guy in a mask. Yeah, and, and a, a tra- two trash bags full of leaves. Yeah, and exactly and, yeah. about L.A. So all, yeah. what he has to do is be creative to convey what he's trying to convey, right? Yeah, and make a genuinely scary movie using uh, like filmmaking techniques rather than budget. Yeah. Same thing with like Sam Raimi and Evil Dead, like you mentioned. That's another extremely creative and uh, inventive movie yeah. that has zero resources. Joe Dante is a little different. So Joe, Joe Dante basically started doing Steven Spielberg ripoffs. Like Piranha, I think was one of his first movies. Yeah. Uh, it's just a Jaws ripoff. And then the, because he, he's kind of a mixture between B movies and Steven Spielberg movies. It's like what <laughs> Joe Dante is. Yeah. Um, but uh, they all, anyway, they all had to do that. And you contrast that with somebody like Michael Bay, who's just always made big budget CGI filled monstrosities. And yeah. like, he's never going to be a, he's never going to do anything worthwhile. I'm sorry, Transformers fans, but he's not. <laughs> um, so you got, that's kind of the opposite end of the, ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. Um, 
And then they also learn from that how to deliver. That's that's why they get A-list budgets. That's why studios still trust them. Yeah. It's because they know how to deliver a product that people are going to go to the theater to watch. Yeah. And they know how to do it under budget and behind schedule or yeah. ahead of schedule. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they can deliver a good product. It's it's a good investment for a studio to give them money. And so they keep getting jobs, you know? Yeah. I'm sure that freaking Doctor Strange 2 costs less than... Actually, we should look it up. I don't know what that costs compared to the average Marvel movie because he probably just... Based on how the CGI looked, it probably cost a lot less, but I don't know. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That that first act was tough. But all that to say, uh, I think that's that's really all I had to say was that I, I, there's a very, very specific niche that I love. And yeah. those three guys are basically the whole niche. Yeah. I would say there's one other person that deserves an honorary mention okay. in that, and we have talked about him today. And that's George Miller. Mm. Where starting off with Mad Max directing this really I'm not going to lie I was like 14 when I saw the first Mad Max and I'm again I'm not going to lie I I fell asleep watching it it's not the most exciting movie that you could watch oh, yeah, for sure and then I watched bits and pieces of 2 and 3 and the good ones the good ones supposedly the good ones and I still haven't seen all of them so I can't give an educated opinion on those but like going from those three movies to Babe and Babe Pig in the City which everybody knows at least the name of you know what you're talking about it's a movie about a pig everybody knows about the movie about a pig it's that or Charlotte's Web there's the only two pig movies in the world and then you have Happy Feet which everybody should know and then you have Mad Max Fury Road which blew up and then he went back to doing his own thing with uh, this movie called 3,000 Years of Longing, which I still really want to see. I saw an ad for it and probably a few years behind at this point. But um, I think going back to that idea of like, I have a big budget. I used to do B movies. Now I do A movies. Now I can do my own thing with an A movie budget. Mm -hmm. I'm going to write a movie about a genie granting a woman's wishes and her dealing with the consequences of what it's like to live with the consequences of your actions when you're making these kinds of wishes, because these wishes typically come with like a monkey's paw kind of twist to them. Oh, nice literary reference. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Jordan Peele. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I knew that my brain was going to go here eventually, but it's just a matter of time. Yeah. That's why the original Spider-Man trilogy is so good. <laughs> okay. So if you so watch, good. if you watch the behind the scenes, Bruce yeah. Campbell is talking and like Spider-Man two behind the scenes, Bruce Campbell is talking about the, what it's like to make these movies. Yeah. And they ask him in one, at one point, they're like, you've worked with Sam Raimi. You've known him his whole life. You grew up together and you've been with each other your whole careers. What's yep. it like now that you have, the biggest budgets known to man. Like the Spider-Man trilogy at the time was like some of the biggest budgets of movies ever, <laughs> yeah. right? It's pre-MCU and it's... And, uh, pre, so they're pre-billion dollar movies. Yeah, pre-billion yeah. dollar but movies. Gosh, I hate this era that we're in. Oh, remind me to come back to the billion dollar movie thing in a second. Okay. okay. Um, all right. So, and Bruce Campbell's talking about like, they're like, what's it like making these movies with all the money you have now? And yeah. he's, like, he's like, that's the best part is that it's the same. It's still just like me and Sam coming up with goofy, like fun ways to do cool stuff with a camera. Yeah. It's like Sam is just doing the same goofy stuff with bigger toys is what he yeah. said. And it's like, 
he's using the same like he's still just being clever with his camera work and trying to mm. come up with clever ways to shoot things and to present things yeah. but just with a, the resources to make it easier yeah. you know and so that's the difference it's like when somebody starts out like that they're able to do that whereas if somebody starts out with the full budget they're never going to really learn how to be creative with what Yeah I think there's a, there's a big parallel with this in the the music industry I think sure. with it when it comes to like industry plants For like sure. Okay, one of my favorite bands is Kings of Leon. They were straight up an industry plant. Were they really? They are a res- representative of RCA. Came up to um, Caleb Followill, who's the lead singer, uh, and they were like, "We want you to put together an album or a, 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 an EP." And he's like, "Okay." So he got together with his brother and his cousin and like a friend, and then they were all like 21, 18, 14 years old, and then they. Wrote an album or wrote an EP together. Hi, Caitlin. Special what's guest up, Caitlin. Caitlin. You're on the podcast. Hi. What do you? What's up? Well, I'm just getting. I'm, getting, I'm grabbing my knitting. Go ahead, grab That's it. All I wanted to do. You go for it. Are you working on the gingerbread man right now? No. The people want to know. I am not actually. Unfortunately, that's my next project. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Goodbye. Godspeed, Spider-Man. Godspeed, Spider-Man. All right, go ahead. Um, but like, yeah, he they got together and they were like, okay, we're just gonna lock ourselves in a basement, smoke a bunch of weed, and write an EP. And they wrote an EP, and then quite literally, they went from being nobody to playing David Letterman. Like it's it's that yeah. on the note. It's like that obvious. Like okay, we to like, be clear, that was because of RCA Records, not because of weed smoking. Correct. Yeah, kids allegedly. <laughs> But then you have like a lot of people that we really like indie artists, and because of the era of streaming, like you're a hip, you have access to all these people that don't have the budgets of like huge like Columbia Records or RCA Records that can just like pump out million dollar albums like Taylor Swift or Beyonce or somebody, and they have like do you, they have to use this creativity and like they have to write genuine songs, and they have to be really creative about how they go about instrumentation and mastering. Um, and that continue to just try and be impressive with their own talents, with the budget constraints that they have. For like, sure. oh, we can't afford a studio band for this song. Okay, cool. Guess what? This is going to be an acoustic song. Yeah. <laughs> like, or I'm going to play every part on this, yeah. and we're going to do what we can and try and be creative about it. It's See, that gives me hope. Except that, that I've never had been approached by an industry executive. But, very uh, few people have. Yeah. Do you ever think about that though? Like how much, how many people's stories? Like you watch, it's so funny if you watch like uh, any famous musician and they're mm-hmm. talking about how they made it and they're like, oh man, I was at the, I was just grinding for this many years, playing shows in bars and doing this and that, and then and then like you just got to stick with it. And they're always like trying to be inspiring. They're like, just yeah. keep stick with it. And then they're asked, how'd you make it? And they're like, well, one night there was someone from Columbia there. <laughs> like that, that's every story. It's yeah. like, it's not about grinding. It's about being in the it's right place at the luck. right time. Yeah, yeah. It's complete luck. Yeah. I mean, of course they wouldn't have been there if they hadn't been grinding and like, yeah. if they hadn't been actually good enough to make it, but just yeah. there are so many thousands of people good enough to make it that never do because it's, very, very few times does it actually work out where somebody's talented enough and unknown enough that they are so good at what they do, they become popular. Yeah. And whereas the more common thing is that the industry just needs somebody to be a competitor to a different record label so they can make more money 
or they can have an equally outstanding person there to make equal amounts of money and stay in the market. Um, whereas like, like even like Billy Joel, who just played a bunch of bars. Yeah. Like Bill, like just playing bars and clubs over and over night after night, just to make enough money to pay rent or whatever, eventually paid off for him because now everybody knows Billy Joel. Everybody knows the songs. He's, a-list famous at this point. And for so many years, people would just stand at the bar and put bread in his jar and say, man, what are you doing here? Exactly. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> but, like, very very rare is it for somebody, though, to actually rise to the occasion and become famous purely because of talent. Um, which, a lot of the people that we like, that we like to listen to, that have done so, are still kind of under the radar, at least as far as mainstream music sure. goes. Anybody that listens to mainstream music, they just listen to top 40 type people. They're not going to know a lot of the people, even the bigger names in that realm. Well, that And that's just part of the fact that the industry's changed so much. Yeah. Like you now, the in, the top 40 is not the industry anymore. They're, yeah. That's just industry plans. That's like Megan yeah. Trainer doing TikTok dances to her own songs to try to promote whatever thing. Yeah. Like that. that's not re- genuine anymore. Um, yeah. Back in the day, you legitimately had great acts that were the yeah. top 40 you, because just the industry's changed so much. Thanks, um, Peter Frampton. Thanks, Peter Frampton. But like I was uh, talking to somebody at work about, they were telling me the story of like Boston, yeah. uh, Boston's first album that he like, um, he had it. So what's the guy's name? Who's the lead? Who's the dude who did all the mixing mass the mastermind behind boston i forget his name anyway they got picked up by the record label and yeah. he had the whole album their first album recorded and done yeah. and the you know the hugely successful album it was like he'd been he was like extremely anal about making sure everything was mixed and mastered the way he wanted it yeah. and all that stuff and then the record label was like well that's not how it works like you, we're going to pay for studio time and you're going to go re-record everything in our studio on our dime and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Come out to LA and do it. And he was like, no, but that was like contingent with the deal. And so he yeah. just uh, sent the band out to LA to just goof around in the studio for two weeks. And then he just sent them the stuff he had already done at home. That's, and that's the album. The hilarious. Yeah. Well, yeah. But like you could do that back then because the bands were genuinely the people that were on the record yeah. labels. And that's not how it is anymore. The bands are all independent. And the record label people is like Charlie Puth. And even Charlie Puth records everything at home. Yeah. So it's like, it doesn't make sense. Charlie anymore. Puth and Sean Mendez just have home studios where they're like, I don't know how to play guitar, but I'm going to play. Keyboard. And then freaking Capitol Records puts it out with a billion dollar <laughs> budget. So it just makes no sense anymore. It's yeah. just goofy. And the same is true of movies because you have things like A24 movies that yeah. are in theaters alongside the billion dollar Marvel yeah. movies. Yeah. Like so. a small, which. You would think like, oh, an indie movie like A24, but it's still like at this point, A24 is becoming a household name. It's, it's at you this point, pig, it is, it's, like just, it's just a smaller movie. You have movies like Pig that are bizarre B movies. That's a yeah. B movie, but it's got Nicolas Cage. In yeah. It. And it's put out by A24, who's a B movie studio, basically. Not a, they're yeah. not B movies, they're just indie movies. And B, but yet they're, B plus, A minus. They're mainstream now because yeah. that's just how the industry is it yeah. makes no sense anymore i mean like if you have enough money to, to distribute across the united states and the to world. have and the world to have ad time in 
previews before other major movies yeah. months before. Then you're not indie anymore. You're not indie anymore. Yeah. And that's sad. I want to know what other indie studios are out there that are like, I can't afford to put my movie out there in the theater, but A24 can't. Like, A24 has to. That's the thing, too. It's like indie. The word indie has lost meaning because it yeah. means independent. But, yeah, but if, it's, a, if, it's a, if you are a studio, you're by definition not independent if your movie has a studio. <laughs> yes. If you didn't do it by yourself. If yeah. the director didn't like. Evil Dead was literally funded by local Wisconsin. Where are they from? Michigan? They're from Michigan. It's like local guys, like businessmen that they grew up with. Like their yeah. dad's friend's auto shop. He's like, yeah, I'll put in 500 bucks for your little yeah. movie kid. Like that's how it was funded. And then they just started sending it off to movie theaters. And it yeah. only took off when Stephen King happened to see it and liked it. Yeah. And that's it. So it's like that kind of thing. So it's really, that's what it in, any kind of success in the industry is only dependent on... To be continued. <laughs>